0: And welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News Brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind With permission of the Worcester News Recorded on Thursday the 29th of February Here at Colin Chance House I'm Evelyn Brock, Editor for this edition And with me to read for you Are Moira Lowe Penny Welford and Richard Pugh. Our recording engineer is Alex Gwynn and we are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I do hope you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, and thought for the week. Nowadays, those telephone numbers and the obituaries are placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present talking books aren't available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tapes. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when that time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, that's Worcester 01905 or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone facility on the number I've just given, and leave a message to that effect. So we'll get going. And the first item this week will come from Richard, and that's the thought for the week.
1: And this week's thought is taken from uh, the Gospel according to Luke, uh, chapter 18. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it.
0: Thank you, Richard. And now, on this day... I have to say that I could not find on this day in today's newspaper, so I've taken yesterday's edition, the 28th of February, which, of course, is usually the last day of the month. So last year, on the 28th, people shared sightings of the northern lights following rare and spectacular displays across the UK. Birthdays Celebrated, Mercedes Ruel, actress, 76, Mike Figgis, film director, 76, Ainsley Harriet, TV chef and presenter, 67, John Totoro, actor and director, 67, Barry McGuigan, former boxer, 63, and Tim Bresnan, cricketer, 39. So what's been happening in history on the 28th of February? On this day in 1784, John Wesley signed the deed of declaration of the Wesleyan faith. On this day in 1874, Arthur Orton, claimant to the Titchborne estate, was found guilty of perjury and sentenced to 14 years hard labour. 28 February 1900 In the Boer War, General Buller relieved Ladysmith besieged by Boer forces for 118 days. 1912 The world's first parachute jump from an aeroplane was made over Missouri, USA, by Albert Berry. 1966 – Liverpool's Cavern Club, where the Beatles made their name, went into liquidation. 1975 – A train from Drayton Park crashed through buffers at Moorgate Tube Station killing 42 people. 1986, the Swedish Prime Minister, Olaf Palme, was shot dead by an unknown assassin in Stockholm. And on the 28th of February 1989, in London's Covent Garden, the world's biggest litter bin was unveiled, sponsored. By fast food operator, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right, we'll move to the headlines and I'm going to ask Penny to start with the first
2: one from last
0: Friday. So,
2: Friday, February the 23rd, the headline read, Raging house fire destroys whole floor. Five engines tackle the blaze. Neighbours were woken up to the noise of windows smashing after a house became engulfed in flames. The house fire in Gardener's Close in Brickfields, Worcester, had one of its floors destroyed after a fire broke out early yesterday morning. That was Thursday. Neighbours recalled the harrowing moment when they were woken up to the noise of windows cracking and popping as the house went up in flames. One neighbour said... The flames had literally engulfed the whole top floor. I heard windows cracking, blowing out. They said someone had run into the road calling for them to call 999 and they saw the homeowner standing in his pants staring back at the house. The neighbour said they went inside to fetch him a top to put on. Five fire engines had filled Gardeners Close and its neighbouring road, Turner's Close, while 12 firefighters fought the blaze. The team were on the scene for several hours tackling the fire. Another neighbour said, I woke up and heard a pop and thought, oh God, and then I saw the flames. I couldn't see the owner and tried to get my stuff on as quickly as possible. Then I saw him outside the house and tried to get him away from the property. The top front window of the house and the side window have completely disappeared from the house and a collection of the owner's things has formed a pile outside. A spokesperson for HWFR said, The fire was in a two-storey semi-detached house, 12 metres by 12 metres, the floor of which was completely destroyed by fire. The fire was extinguished by 12 firefighters wearing breathing apparatus and using two two hose-reel jets and a covering jet. A short extension ladder was also deployed. Positive pressure ventilation was also used. A neighbouring property was checked for fire spread with a thermal imaging camera. Cutting away and dampening down was carried out with the thermal imaging camera used to check for hot spots There were no casualties. Okay, my headline
3: is from the weekend, Saturday and Sunday the 24th and 25th. Uh, Headline is three killed in a horror crash. A boy aged six was among those killed in a fatal crash in which three people died as the police appealed for witnesses to come forward. The crash happened at around 3pm on the A44 Spechley Road in Worcester, when a white BMW 3 Series collided with a white Ford Mondeo. West Mercia Police is appealing for witnesses to the fatal collision, which happened on Thursday, February 22nd in the afternoon. Despite efforts from paramedics, the driver of the Mondeo, a woman aged 26, and the passenger, a woman aged 39, were pronounced dead at the scene. A six-year-old boy, who was also in the Mondeo, was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital but died shortly after arrival. Two men, both occupants of the BMW, were taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham with serious injuries. Chief Inspector Mark Davidson said, This is an incredibly sad incident and our thoughts are with the family and friends of the people who have sadly died. I urge anybody who witnessed the collision or may have dash cam footage to contact the police as you may be able to help with our investigation into what happened. West Midlands Ambulance Service sent five ambulances, four paramedic officers, a merit trauma doctor and critical care paramedic and two Midlands Air ambulances from Cosford and Strangstrom to the scene. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokeswoman said, on arrival... Crews discovered five patients. Two women and a male child from the first car were in critical conditions. The child received advanced life support before being conveyed on blue lights via land ambulance to Worcester Royal Hospital. But sadly, shortly after arrival, it became clear he could not be saved and was confirmed dead. Medics administered advanced life support to both female patients but unfortunately, despite everyone's best efforts, they could not be saved and were confirmed dead. There were two male patients from the second car. The first man was treated for life-threatening injuries and taken to the major trauma centre at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham via land ambulance for further treatment. The second man, the driver, had suffered potentially life-threatening injuries and was conveyed via land ambulance to the same hospital. Ambulance staff were grateful for the assistance of police and fire colleagues at the scene, as all three emergency services worked well together in what were extremely difficult circumstances. Information can be sent to South at westmercia.police.uk or call 101 extension 773 3440 quoting 00283-1 of 22 February. Alternatively, information can be shared anonymously with Crime Stoppers on 800 555 or by visiting www.crimestoppers-org.uk.
1: As we move to Monday, February 26th, we find the front pages saying £250,000 garden revamp plans get go-ahead that the work is due to start later this year. A quarter of a million pound project to redevelop an historic green space has been approved by councillors. Worcester City Council's Planning Committee backed plans to revamp St Andrew's Gardens at a meeting on Thursday, February 22nd. A more attractive new entrance will be created at the corner of Deansway and Copenhagen Street and wheelchair-friendly paths will link the pedestrian crossing from Deansway through to Key Street. The original tip of the spire of the old St Andrews Church Tower will be moved from its current location in the gardens to a new, more visible focal point close to the revamped entrance. And, uh, inverted commas, accessible steps, closing inverted commas, will be installed as part of of a new pedestrian route into Copenhagen Street car park, and visitors should be able to enjoy better views of the River Severn and nearby historic buildings. (laughs) Councillor Patricia Agar said, I'm particularly impressed by the inclusivity of this plan, the wider paths and the provision for a sensory garden. Planning Chair Karen Lewing said, The site is surrounded by heritage assets, and I like that they've picked up on the glove-making industry. The plans say that the benches will be painted black. But in Gullivelt Park, we have lovely and individual badges on each end of the benches for the regiments, and they just really make it a special place, this kind of detail councillors agreed that it would be good to see similar badges on the benches in St Andrew's Gardens. St Andrew's Gardens was once home to St Andrew's Church, which was demolished in the 1940s after being found to be structurally unsafe. Its tower and spire were left freestanding, although the original tip of the spire was moved to ground level in the 1980s for safety reasons and a new tip placed on top. Announcing the plans last year, the City Council said it had hoped to appoint a contractor early in 2024, with construction work due to take place in the spring and summer. The project will be funded by £180,000 from the Government's Towns Fund and £72,000 from developer contributions under Section 106 conditions attached to planning permissions.
0: My headline article is from Tuesday, February the 27th and it follows on from the sad news that Moira presented to us a few minutes ago, the death of a six-year-old. Mum pays tribute to little Leo, wonderful son killed in crash. A heartbroken mum has paid tribute to her wonderful six-year-old son, who was killed with two women in a horror crash outside his school. Little Leo Painter died when the Ford Mondeo and a grey BMW 3 Series were involved in a crash at 3.07pm on Thursday. The female driver and a woman accompanying Leo were both pronounced dead at the scene leo was rushed to worcestershire royal hospital but died a short time later leo's devastated mum gemma 28 laid flowers at the scene of the crash which happened on the a44 in spetchley in worcester gemma said leo was a wonderful little boy he always had a smile on his face and was a bundle of fun I'm heartbroken that I won't see him again. Leo was in foster care, but it was hoped he would return to live with Gemma full-time by the end of the year. Gemma added, The last time I saw Leo was before Christmas. His birthday was on Christmas Eve, so I gave him his presents. He loved Paw Patrol and I gave him a pair of pyjamas with his favourite characters on. He said he loved wearing mummy's pyjamas. Leo had been in foster care, but the hope was he would come and live with me again full time by this December. I was really excited about getting my boy back home. Gemma discovered the tragic news when she received a phone call last Thursday telling her to go to the hospital. Leo had just come out of Abigail's Place School, which is opposite Spectley Park Gardens, when the crash happened. Gemma added, I'm so numb. I was really looking forward to him living with me again. The road has a 30-mile-an-hour limit but it's known for people speeding. I don't know who the men were, but I was told they were in their 20s. The two men from the BMW 3 Series were taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. One suffered life-threatening injuries, the other had potentially life-threatening injuries. West Mercia Police said despite efforts from paramedics, both women, aged 39 and 26, were pronounced dead at the scene. Chief Inspector Mark Davidson said, This is an incredibly sad incident and our thoughts are with the family and friends of the people who have sadly died. I encourage anybody who witnessed the collision or may have dashcam footage to contact the police as you may be able to help with our investigation
2: into what happened. And the final headline for this week is: was Wednesday, February the 28th. River sewage puts fishing's future at risk. Waterways are in a terrible state. A city angling chief has warned those under 50 may not be able to fish in the River Severn when they retire due to sewage dumping. The chairman of Worcester Angling Society fears his grandchildren may never be able to fish when they reach retirement age due to sewage dumping killing the wildlife in Worcester's River. He also argues it is putting people off the local waterways. Our waterways are in a terrible state, Glenn Marshall said. What it will be like in 20 or 30 years, that is the concern for the young people now. And people love being by the water, and if it smells, it will put people off. Two or three days before I started campaigning, I was fishing in Worcester just after it flooded, and I looked up in a tree and saw toilet paper and panty liners. You've got a beautiful area around Worcester, and can be in the natural environment, but walking down the river and seeing panty liners and condoms coming up from the drains is a concern. To tackle sewage dumping, he got involved with the Water Quality Monitoring Network and with the Angling Trust, and tested the River Severn's water quality once a month. He said he had collected samples over the past three years and pollution levels were worsening. A national study across 160 rivers in the UK by the Angling Trust found that 44% of the site averages for phosphates failed the England-wide upper standard for good ecological status. Among those rivers studied, the River Severn in Worcestershire had one of the highest phosphate site averages. Worcester MP Robin Walker said an investment into the fish pass at Diglis reflected an improvement in biodiversity. He added, I absolutely accept that it is a concern that discharges continue to happen, but an outright ban without the infrastructure investment to upgrade sewage systems would not have the desired effect and would be likely to result in people's homes getting flooded by backed-up sewage rather than better outcomes for the river. He added he is working on increasing the fines on water companies that pollute the waterways. Gareth Mead, Seven Trent River Ranger manager, said We welcome citizen science projects and it's important the data is interpreted correctly. On this water body, there are currently 13 reasons why the river doesn't yet meet good ecological status and Seven Trent is responsible for one of these with the remaining 92% down to other sectors. There are many factors that contribute to river health, and we're making progress in playing our part to reduce impact on waterways, continuing to invest hundreds of millions of pounds, including two new projects at our Worcester and Poick sewage treatment works.
3: Okay, so today's
2: headline, Line, um,
3: exciting vision for Crown Gate. new owners outline their plans. The new owners of Crowngate are promising to freshen and revitalise the city's shopping centre. Starburst UK became the owners of the shopping centre in the heart of Worcester city centre earlier this month, taking over from the Crown estate. Anthony Wardle, who was the representative for the Welsh family-run firm, said it was remaining tight-lipped for now on its plans for the centre, but promised shoppers it was ambitious and would reinvigorate the centre, which is split over Friary Walk and Chapel Walk. Mr Wardle said, We are very enthusiastic about what it can offer. The centre has lost its way, like many shopping centres have done a little bit nationally. The landscape changed with Covid and the internet, But that doesn't mean shopping centres are dead, it needs new focus. Mr Wardle said occupiers were lined up for the units, such as the former Carphone Warehouse on the High Street, while it was also considering what to do with the other vacant units, potentially splitting them. The centre, which opened in the 1990s, has come under fire from some for looking tired, but Mr Wardle said it would invest in it and people would likely see improvements during 2024. We are very enthusiastic about what it can offer, he said. We are not looking to rebrand for the sake of rebranding. You have to adapt to the economic environment you are in. We can't change the interest rates, or people don't want to stop in department stores anymore. The new owner has a background in industry development, but Mr Wardle said it had looked to diversify in recent years, venturing into retail warehouses and retail parks with more than 500 tenants. Mr. Wardle said the owners signed the contract on Thursday, February the twenty-second, but said for commercial reasons the amount it cost could not be revealed. We aren't going to be nasty owners swooping in to bring in something contrary to what local people want, he added. We are used to dealing with smaller occupiers. We will speak to them and other stakeholders to see how they feel it can be improved. The centre celebrated its thirtieth anniversary in twenty twenty-two. The complex first opened in Worcester in 1992 and now comprises of 69 retail units and two main shopping areas, having undergone major redevelop- redevelopments over the decades.
0: Thanks, Maura. And now a sport article. And just for a change, I shall read it. Brave Wolves Lose to League Leaders. Loughborough Lightning ultimately proved too strong on the day. Worcester Wolves slipped to defeat on the road against Top of the Table and unbeaten Loughborough Lightning on Saturday, writes George Chapman. George Bates' side are bidding to become three-time WPL champions this year. And are yet to be beaten in the twenty twenty four season, but had to overcome a spirited performance from the wolves to maintain their perfect record. Ellen Fraser got the scoreboard ticking for the visitors after Loughborough Lightning scored the first basket of the game with a shot from the outside of the key, followed by Lena Knippelmeyer converting shots from the line jade Lochlin converted a layup after working a pick and roll with fraser who added to her account after getting an offensive rebound to add another two points to wolves total heading into the second quarter loughborough lightning led 21 15. Lucas Warburton's side started the second quarter on fire, with Fraser landing from the wing position and Lily Hickman scoring a layup off the back of a great pick and roll. Following a timeout from the now rattled hosts, Hickman scored her second basket of the ball game, and Neem Horan opened her account from inside the key to bring Wolves to within two points at 27.25. With two minutes and 36 seconds remaining in the second quarter, Knippelmeier worked her way into the key and converted the three-point play after being fouled in the process of shooting. Knippelmeyer then netted a layup after full court pressure was rewarded. But Loughborough's experience began to show towards the end of the first half, and they stretched their lead to 12 points at the break. Fraser got Wolves off to a flying start in the third quarter but Robin Love responded to keep Lightning up by 12. Emily Branswaite scored her first basket of the game, knocking down a shot from the left side wing, and Horan converted a number of baskets. But Lightning were outscoring their opponents, And all of a sudden, a healthy lead had been reached by the time the buzzer went on quarter three with a score at 61-39. Fraser and Knippelmeyer cut Lightning's lead to 20 points, but Loughborough were never going to be caught as they saw out the game to record a 73-51 victory. We'll move on to readers' letters now. And we'll start with Moira and the first
3: letter. OK, my first letter then is from Max Burgess of Malvern. Sir, well done to the Mayor Louis Stephen for bringing in a plant based menu at his receptions. Climate change will affect everyone eventually. Already, many counties are seeing floods, droughts, and deforestation. As animal agriculture is a main cause of these problems, we all need to think about eating plant-based foods. It seems a small sacrifice in order to protect our Earth. What a fuss Councillor Amos is making over having to eat one plant-based meal. He's like a child who doesn't want to eat his vegetables. Councillor Amos, think about the planet instead of your stomach.
1: And from Craig Wellesley in Eckington, we have the following. Sir, the science is now clear that meat and dairy are major contributors to the climate and ecological emergencies, and that switching to a plant-based diet is one of the most effective things an individual can do to reduce their impact on the planet. So it was heartening to read that Worcester's mayor has decided to exercise his prerogative and remove meat from the food offered at council receptions. I think he should be commended for taking such a stand, and I hope it goes some way to normalising plant-based eating in the city.
0: Thank you, Richard. And this is from... Alan Amos, city and county councillor for Bedwardine. Regarding the Green Party's council meat ban, the reason this has become such a massive story since I raised it at the council meeting this week is because it raises a fundamentally important principle, namely that the British do not like being pushed around and told what to do. I trust people to make their own choices and decisions, so believe that the 93% of the population who eat meat should always be given the choice to do so. Clearly, the Green Party mayor does not trust people to have a choice and prefers instead to impose his minority views on society. It's all part of a pattern and a bigger agenda. For example, green climate change activists who use violence to disrupt people's lives and livelihoods to get their own way. They cannot win the argument through the ballot box, so it's another example of a minority imposing their will on the majority. It is a meat ban today but they have an endless list of other twisted priorities to impose whenever they can.
2: And the next letter is from Alex Mackey. Sir, I rightly appreciate the amount of column inches you gave to the statement of the chairman of the council under heading, heading, Alfie's tragic case cannot happen again. May I also congratulate Sam Greenaway for accurately following the public participation part of this County Council meeting, live-streamed on the Council's website, in which my pre-submitted speech and question for vetting purposes by Ms Best, the Council's monitoring officer, may have prompted the Chairman's statement at the start of the meeting. Understandably, Sam's report did not include the conclusion part of my statement, which I trust you will be able to publish with this letter. Namely, there have been more than 20 cases of child murders committed in the West Midlands in the past few years, and all the reports that have been published end with the sentence... Lessons have been learnt from this tragic case and we have put in place a plan of action to ensure that these tragedies never happen again. Some hope we should all hang our heads in shame. My one question, which I was allowed to ask under the Council's standing orders, was why didn't the review give the information that members of the public contacted the police and council 64 times because they were concerned about Alfie's treatment and this information is only now in the public domain due to investigations by the BBC. The chairman responded that I would receive a reply to my question in due course. I will ensure that you will receive a copy of the Chairman's reply for publication in due course.
3: OK, so one final letter um, from Fran Grantham of Worcester. Sir, what on earth is going on at Sainsbury's St John's? Twice in a week we have shopped there, only to find empty shelves, no milk, eggs and lots of empty spaces. Have they cut down on staff so much that they have no one to fill up? We ended up going to Aldi where
0: their shelves were full. Thank you, Moira. Right, well, we move on to the general articles from this last week. And I am to start with an article about something that made the national papers as well. Crooked House owners ordered to rebuild pub. The owners of the Crooked House have been told that they must rebuild the historic pub. They have three years to put the building back to what it was prior to the fire, in what will be a mammoth task. South Staffordshire Council served the owners with an enforcement notice today, Tuesday, February 27th, after working hard behind the scenes with partner organisations. It said in a statement, The council has engaged with the owners since the demolition, but has reached a point where formal action is considered necessary. It goes on to say, The Enforcement Notice is for the unlawful demolition of the building, which is a breach of planning control. It requires the building to be built back to what it was prior to the fire. The notice specifies the materials, etc., which must be used to rebuild the building. Leader of the Council, Councillor Roger Lees, BEM, said... A huge amount of time and resources have been put into investigating the unauthorised demolition of the Crooked House. We've had great support from the local community, our MPs and the Mayor of the West Midlands, and from the campaign group whose aim is to see the Crooked House back to its former glory, which is the key objective of the Enforcement Notice. We've not taken this action lightly, but we believe that it is right to bring the owners who demolished the building without consent to account. And we are committed to do what we can to get the crooked house rebuilt. The loss of the beloved wonky pub on Himley Road, Dudley, sparked outrage from fans of the famous boozer which gained its iconic appearance due to subsidence as a result of 19th century mining in the area. Since it was bulldozed last August after a fire, which is being treated as arson, locals and fans of the Crooked House, which dated back to the 18th century, have been campaigning to see it rebuilt brick by brick. The notice can be appealed within 30 days. If it is appealed, an independent planning inspector will hear the case and the council will have to defend the serving of the notice. If the notice is not appealed and not complied with within the time limit, it will be considered that an offence has been committed and the Council can prosecute for failure to comply with the notice. The Crooked House was not a listed building, but was a non-designated heritage asset, registered on the historic environment record as a building of local importance.
2: The next headline is from Friday, February the 23rd. Is the city taking gull problem seriously? And there's a picture of some gulls nicely lined up on a wall and a picture of a councillor, Karen Lewing, who says the council is taking the problem seriously. Alan Amos said Worcester is not taking the problem of gulls seriously. Open quotes, vicious flying rats, close quotes, also known as gulls, are causing serious issues in Worcester which are not being taken seriously, claims the city councillor. Alan Amos said control of the gulls' numbers is a serious problem and the animals would be endangered if he had his way. The Council set its budget earlier this week and will spend half the amount on goal control than it did last year. Councillors doubled the goal control budget to £70,000 for the last 12 months, but the latest budget sees a return to its base budget of just £35,000. Councillor Amos told the meeting he was appalled the goal budget would be slashed. This council has never taken the issue of gold control seriously, he said. They cause relentless disturbances to people's lives and some residents are forced to keep their windows and and doors shut, even in hot weather, because of these vicious flying rats. It's a serious problem and it's getting worse. Eating outside is becoming increasingly difficult and unpleasant. Many years ago I suggested the only solution was a gull-cull and I was right because the problem is now virtually out of control. They are not endangered, but they would be if I had my way. Too many members and officers believe gulls are more important than people. Councillor Karen Lewing, who chairs the Council's Environment Committee, said gulls are protected under the Wildlife and Countryside Act 1981. She said the extra money last year was used to carry out semi-permanent goal-proofing work on buildings in the city centre, work that will carry on, albeit at a reduced rate. The council recognises that goals are destructive, and we have a proactive and reactive approach to their removal, said Councillor Lewing. In 2023, we removed most eggs that we have. That, sorry. In 2023, we removed the most eggs that we have since 2020 255. And the nest removal was 137. So, combined with the semi permanent work that we're doing, I think we are taking this very seriously. Okay. Um
3: My headline is, Royal Family Member Dies. Thomas Kingston, the husband of Prince and Princess Michael of Kent's daughter, Lady Gabriella Kingston, has died suddenly at the age of 45. Lady Gabriella paid tribute to her financier husband, who was born in Evesham, in a joint statement with his family, describing him as an exceptional man who lit up the lives of all who knew him. They described his death as a great shock to the whole family. The King and Queen sent their most heartfelt thoughts and prayers to Lady Gabriella, who is known as Ella, and Mr Kingston's parents and siblings. Mr Kingston, known as Tom, was found dead at an address in the Cotswolds on Sunday evening, and emergency services were called to the scene shortly after 6pm. An inquest will be held to establish the cause of death, but there are no suspicious circumstances and no other parties involved. Gloucestershire Police said in a statement, we were called by the Ambulance Service at 6.25pm on Sunday with a report of the death of a 45-year-old man at an address in the Cotswolds. The death is not being treated as suspicious and a file will be prepared for the coroner. A statement released on behalf of Lady Gabriella Kingston, Mr Martin and Jill Kingston Joanna Connolly and Emma Murray said it is with the deepest sorrow that we announce the death of Thomas Kingston, our beloved husband, son and brother. Tom was an exceptional man who lit up the lives of all who knew him. His death has come as a great shock to the whole family and we ask you to respect our privacy as we mourn his passing. Lady Gabriella released a personal photo she took of her husband, showing him smiling and dressed in a casual pink shirt as he stood near a stretch of water in the sunshine. The couple married at St George's Chapel Windsor Castle in 2019 with Queen Elizabeth II and her husband the late Duke of Edinburgh among the guests. A Buckingham Palace spokesman said the King and the Queen had been informed of Thomas's death and joined Prince and Princess Michael of Kent and all those who knew him in grieving a much-loved member of the family. Lady Gabriella is the King's second cousin. They are both great-grandchildren of King George V. Mr Kingston was a director of Devonport Capital, which specialises in providing finance for companies in frontier economies. The Bristol University graduate had also worked in Baghdad, Iraq, working to procure the release of hostages after joining the Diplomatic Missions Unit of the Foreign Office.
1: On Friday, we see the headline, Hospice unveils new state-of-the-art pool. There's a lovely picture, which is very inviting, of the new pool at uh, the the Acorns Children's Hospice. A new hydrotherapy pool for children with life-limiting and life-threatening conditions has been making waves. Proving to be a hit since its official opening this week, the -the state-of-the-art facility at Acorns Children's Hospice for the three counties in Worcester, comes complete with multisensory light and sound to enhance hydrotherapy sessions. The charity provides specialist palliative care for children with serious conditions. It cared for more than 750 children in the West Midlands region just this past year. The extensive work on the project, including complete renovation, was made achievable by a six-figure donation. Not only has the new pool and changing rooms been fitted, but it now also includes a high-tech lighting system and ambient sound surround speakers. The cost of the project, around £200,000, was covered by a grant from the Kildare Trust and will benefit over 200 children Who receive care annually at the Bath Road Hospice? Matron Becky Hughes said, We are thrilled to officially open this amazing pool. The project has totally transformed this important space for children and families. Ms. Hughes added, Hydrotherapy is such a vital service, actively reducing pain and giving children acorns a sense of movement and freedom that they may not otherwise get to experience because of the use of wheelchairs or spending a lot of time in bed. Our new pool will also help us give families visiting the hospice for family splashes the best possible experience, enabling them to make precious memories together which wouldn't be possible in a public swimming pool because of infection control and colder waters. Aided by late Worcester farmer Phyllis Richards, the Trust provides monetary assistance to various charities across Worcestershire. Ian Smith, Chair of the Trust, said the trustees of Kildare were delighted to be in a position to fund the whole refurbishment of this vital facility at Acorns. We have supported the hospice for a number of years, but this is the biggest single project we have supported there. It was obvious from talking to the staff and parents how incredibly important the hydrotherapy treatment is to all of the users of acorns.
0: Well, here's an article from history from the Victorian age. Days of mourning jewellery. And it's illustrated by an open locket. The one side shows a bearded Victorian gentleman On the other side, some woven material. More of that in the article. It might not be common today to adorn a piece of jewellery with a loved one's hair in it, but for the Victorians and even those before them, it was a popular concept. Sometimes hair was offered as a way of expressing love or friendship, Jewellery could also memorialise people so that their memory could live on. Mourning jewellery came in many different forms, such as necklaces, bracelets, brooches and even rings. Often, mourning jewellery would include a photograph of a loved one who had passed away, although, depending on the style, not all did. Hair used in the jewellery could be plaited, woven or arranged in a wreath style, sealed in with glass. Initially, only upper classes would have these pieces made as they could afford the precious metals the hair was set in and the extra decoration. Despite the jewellery having decorative elements such as gold or even pearls, jet was popular to use the dark color was in keeping with wearing black in the morning period especially for women later this jewelry was more available for lower classes with other materials used like horn or black glass queen victoria was known to wear a locket of prince albert's hair after he died and her wearing morning jewellery spurred on the trend. She was known to give her family pieces of her hair and vice versa on different occasions such as birthdays. The pictured piece in this article from the Worcester City collection has a gentleman pictured in one half and woven hair in the other. Both are sealed in with a piece of glass that clicks in over the top and it would have been worn on a chain. Little is known about the man, but considering the concept of joining hair and jewellery together, we can assume he meant a lot to someone. To see more of the collection, visit Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum, which is open 10am to 4pm Tuesday to Saturday and 10am to 3pm on Sunday.
2: The next article is from Friday's edition of the paper and it features two photographs of a before and after pictures of the Barley Mow pub. Ex-City pub used to highlight crisis... A once-bustling Worcester pub, which has since been renovated into a chicken shop, has been used to highlight a UK pub crisis. The campaign for real ale, Camera, claims the UK is currently in a pub crisis, as according to their data, 29 pubs close every week because of sky-high energy costs and punters having less disposable cash. Camra used the Barley Mow in Worcester as a prime example of where a business has seen an opportunity to make a profit out of the decline in public houses. The Barley Mow, which closed in 2006 after severe flood damage, has now lost its traditional white paint, which has made way for a striking matte black front after it was transformed into the Pirico restaurant the English pubs were the worst hit with 56 permanent closures between January and June 2023, compared to two in Scotland and three in Wales. Despite favourite pubs being lost, 127 new pubs opened in the first half of last year across the country, which is still down from 179 in the six months before. Camera National Chairman Nick Antona blamed a perfect storm hitting the UK pub industry. He said, simultaneous economic crises have meant that pubs, social clubs and tap rooms are balancing on a crumbling cliff edge with too many already lost to the abyss. It is vital that these venues are marketed as going concerns and everything possible is done to secure their future as community pubs, including giving existing licensees first refusal of buying their pub. CAMRA is now urging the government to use the upcoming budget to halt the closure of pubs. Mr Mr. Antona added, To put a stop to permanent closures of pubs, Camera are urging the government to announce a tax cut on pints in pubs by 20% at the upcoming spring budget, which would help them compete with the likes of supermarkets and the off-trade. This would significantly help UK's pubs to stay open and thrive as community spaces in the future. Okay,
3: my story is... Headline is Firefighters Save Cat from Sticky Situation. And there's a picture of a very cute looking cat, which isn't the cat involved. However, firefighters saved a cat who got into a sticky situation in Whittington. The cat had become trapped inside a cavity wall in a domestic garage in Grandison Gardens. One fire crew from Worcester used a triple extension ladder to rescue the small animal and it was released uninjured. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service spokesman said a HWFR crew from Worcester Fire Station was called at 8.39pm on February 23rd to rescue a small animal in Grandison Gardens, Whittington. A cat was trapped inside a cavity wall in a domestic garage. The cat was released uninjured using a triple extension ladder. There were no casualties and no other emergency services were required. The incident was marked as pending closure at 8.01pm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this next headline caught my eye and I thought, very interesting, until I actually read the article and will even declare an interest in how serious it is. Staff The headline is Silence for Students. Staff at Worcester's Students' Union recently took a vow of silence to raise awareness of speech conditions. The action was part of the A Little Less Conversation, More Action Please campaign launched by the University of Worcester's Disabled Students Network. Christian Wilson, a third-year student undertaking a sports coaching science with disability sports degree, conceived the initiative. Mr Wilson, who has verbal dyspraxia, serves as the chair of both the Disabled Students Network and the British Sign Language Society. Mr Wilson, who communicates by using assistive technology, said, When I was younger, I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to have a voice and a social life. But it got to a point in my life that I knew that wouldn't be possible. I would never be the same, and I'd always be different. That's when I decided that if I can't be like my friends, my friends will have to act like me. And that's how the idea came about. On the day of action, Students' Union staff communicated using text-to-speech software for half of their working day. Handling everything from formal meetings to casual office chat. Mr. Wilson added, My nephew Oscar absolutely loves using my text to speech software. He's completely amazed by it and often types on it himself. Al Linforth, president of Worcester Students' Union, said, From 8 a.m. until 12 p.m., the entire Students' Union staff team have been taking part in this challenge and using text-to-speech software to communicate for everything, from our meetings to just having a chat in the office. There are so many different types of assistive technology, but I've never used text-to-speech software, so I've never realised how hard it is to quickly type along to a conversation. If you don't type fast enough, and press the play conversation has moved on and you've missed your chance to speak. So it's important to have that experience of that person so you can empathise with them. According to recent statistics, more than a fifth of students studying at the University of Worcester have a declared disability.
0: The next article I think makes you think or wonder how far down some people can descend in making an illegal fast buck at the expense of the innocent public. Fury as scammers targeted funeral. Friends of a popular pub landlord who died suddenly have spoken of their sadness and anger after scammers took money from mourners by claiming to provide a live stream of his funeral service the funeral of Alex Pope, the landlord of the Paul Prye pub in Worcester, took place at Worcester Cathedral on Monday, February the 19th. Now there is anger from Mr Pope's family and friends as multiple people are said to have fallen victim to the scam. The 39-year-old ran the popular pub in the Butts from 2017 and bought it in 2022, quickly turning it into one of the best loved pubs in the city. Hundreds of people attended his funeral, leaving family and friends beyond devastated and broken, with tributes read out at the service by his three brothers, Tom, Jack and Edward. In a post shared by the pub on Facebook and Instagram, The team spoke of their anger and sadness after learning that an online group called the Alexander James Pope Funeral Service Live has taken money from people claiming to live stream the funeral the group is in no way linked or affiliated to the pub or Mr Pope's family and friends who provided a free live stream and has been condemned by them in the public post. A spokesperson for the pub said, Hey folks, first of all thank you for all of the love and support that has continuously been shown to us over the last few weeks during this awful time. As you know, Alex's funeral took place on February the 19th. Unfortunately, it has come to our attention that there was a Facebook group made claiming to stream Alex's funeral online. We want to make it extremely clear that Alex's funeral was only ever streamed live from the official Paul Pry Facebook account organised by the family, and was completely free to do so, with no expectation of donations or gifts. This was purely so that those who also loved Alex dearly could be a part of the day in some way, even if they could not physically attend. We are saddened to hear that unfortunately this page required people to sign up with the promise of watching the live stream and took bank information upon signing up. To our knowledge, there are multiple people who have unfortunately had money taken out of their accounts without permission, which has both shocked and angered us. Please report the page if you come across it. To reiterate, we are not affiliated with this page at all. The funeral service stream is recorded and still saved to our page if you didn't get a chance to attend. Completely free and safe for anyone to watch. If you have been scammed by this page, please contact your bank immediately. If you could share this post that would be really appreciated and helpful in reaching more people. All our love, the Paul Pry Team.
2: The next article comes from Wednesday's edition and it it's about difficulties facing wheelchair users. It features two photographs um, of Ray Wood in a wheelchair with campaigners Adam Scott and Tom Collins who are concerned about the steep slope and other problems um, facing the wheelchair users. We risk falling out of our wheelchairs, states the headline. Elderly and disabled residents at city almshouses say they are in danger of toppling out of their wheelchairs unless something is done to improve the medieval pavements. All 16 residents of the Lasleths almshouses in Union Street, off Friar Street in Worcester, have signed the petition to make the pavement safe and accessible, particularly for those in wheelchairs or for those who use mobility aids. They said that they have, negotiate, have to negotiate cobbles and uneven surfaces, particularly in Friar Street, sloping and narrow pavements, as well as people parking in front of the gates of the almshouses in Union Street, a charity which provides support to the poor and elderly. That's the Lazarus almshouses. Their shared view is that it puts them at risk of falls and makes it more difficult to get out and about. Residents said the missing bollard and planter immediately outside the almshouses on Friar Street have opened up space for taxis to sit idling right outside the residents' windows. Adam Scott, a community campaigner, is the official Labour candidate for Cathedral Ward in Worcester and he's been working with the joint leader of the council, Lynn Lin, Denim and Labour's MP hopeful, Tom Collins, and residents to request a solution. A statement on behalf of the residents reads, Many of us use mobility buggies and wheelchairs. The pavements on the corners of Union Street and Friar Street and City Walls Road are narrow and slope dangerously. Car parking always blocks the dropped curbs by the main gate to the Lusselt's Arms Houses onto Union Street, so we cannot get out that way. Please make sure the area is safe for wheelchair users, so we can leave our homes and get out to the city centre. Mr Scott said residents find the situation as it is inconvenient and worrying. He first raised the issue with Worcestershire County Council on their behalf on January 22nd. They're concerned about personal injury and concerned about their safety when navigating the difficult pavement. There's a risk of wheelchairs running into the road or toppling over, he said. The former Director of Regeneration and Environment at Blackburn, who has now returned to Worcester, has also said one solution would be to provide a no-parking strip, or H-bar, immediately outside Laslett's main gate, where the dropped curb is. Councillor Denham said it was important that Worcester is accessible for everyone and that we don't want to put obstacles in the way for visitors or residents. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council, said, Worcester is an ancient and medieval city and so cobbles are not an uncommon feature. We have recently undertaken a site visit with the local county councillor, Simon Geraghty, to look at the problems raised by residents with mobility issues. We have also spoken to the residents at the almshouses to further understand their concerns. We are currently exploring options to try and improve the situation okay my headline is city parking fees to increase by
3: 6pc which i think is supposed to be percent uh, parking charges are going up at car parks run by the city council the cost of a ticket is rising by about six percent despite a last-ditch attempt by tory councillors to drop the price hike from the council's 2024-25 budget Worcester City Council is trying to balance the books by increasing the price of dozens of services across the city, including wedding packages, museum entry fees, licensing permits and parking tickets. Short-stay parking on council-run car parks is going up by 10p or 20p per ticket, while long-stay and overnight charges are rising by up to a couple of pounds. A 12-month season ticket for Cattle Market, King Street, Newport Street... Clare Street or Commandery Road is going up from £792 to £840. A year of parking at St Martin's Gate, Pitchcroft, Tallow Hill, Tybridge Street or Croft Road is going up from £660 to £700. Parking permits, penalty charges and temporary road closure charges remain the same. At a council meeting on Tuesday, February the 20th, Conservative councillors argue that parking tickets should not be increased. Councillor Stephen Hodgson said, Low car parking charges help the city. High charges discourage people from coming. We have to be aware we're not the only providers of car parking in the city. Councillor James Stanley called the increase a profound part of a wider agenda, adding, This increase is not necessary. An amendment to the budget was voted down by councillors and described as unevidenced and unaffordable by Labour's Joint Council leader, Lynne Dunham. Why should all council taxpayers subsidise people who can afford a car and visitors to our wonderful city, she said, The wider agenda here is to balance the budget as best we can. Deputy Mayor Mel Olcott said people have bigger things to worry about than parking rates, such as NHS waiting lists and a cost-of-living crisis. Councillor Richard Udall said if they, the Conservatives, really want to create change in this city, they'd suggest investing in public transport, not public car parking. That's the direction of travel. Is that not like park and ride that we used to have?
0: Perhaps.
1: On Monday, we saw a report of hundreds light up the sky for memory walk. Hundreds of people with some wonderful photographs to go with it. Hundreds of people turned up to light up the evening sky at a hospice charity's annual memory walk near Worcester. More than 400 people gathered near Worcester to take part in the lantern walk a a one-and-a-half-mile route around the National Trust's Groom Court, in support of St Richard's Hospice. The hospice is an independent charity offering care for adults with a serious progressive illness. Each year, the hospice team lends support to over 3,100 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. Their aim is to improve the quality of life these individuals from the time of their diagnosis, during their treatment and to their last days. The participants in the walk, holding glowing lanterns, walked to remember their loved ones, raising £7,438 for the hospice in the process. The scenic walk through the parkland was organised by Sophia Gunster. Events, and a community fundraising lead at St. Richard's. Ms. Gunster said, We had a beautiful evening, remembering our loved ones, and enjoying the parkland gently lit by lanterns. It was wonderful to see so many people attend this year's event, and we were blown away by the amount raised. Every penny will help us continue to provide our care for free to people with serious progressive illnesses and their loved ones. Attendees also had the opportunity to leave messages for loved ones on a memory tree within Temple Greenhouse and were treated to a performance from singer Hannah Mack. Paddleboarders from Bonkers Activities Pershaw added to the spectacle with light-up wings, creating a sparkling display on the lake And there is a photo showing this wonderful display. Additionally, sections of the route were illuminated with colourful lights. The walk was sponsored by Russell Mears and Gill, Worcester Ltd. Information on St Richard Hospice's future events can be found on its website www.strichards.org.uk
0: and this article from today, February the 29th, is headed, Minister's Visit Marks 209 Million Pound Funding Boost. And there's a picture of Worcestershire County Council Leader Simon Geraghty with Government Minister Paul Maynard, MP, and representatives of Network Rail. To mark the announcement of over two hundred and nine million-pound funding for transport schemes in the county, a government minister visited Worcester to meet the Conservative parliamentary candidate for Worcester. Parliamentary Under Secretary of State for Pensions Paul Maynard MP visited Worcester on Monday, February 26, to meet Mark Bayliss, who is bidding to replace Robin Walker MP as the constituency's representative the hundreds of millions of pounds worth of investment will be invested in Worcestershire over the next seven years. During their city tour, Mr Bayliss and Mr Maynard visited Shrub Hill Station to discuss allocating some of the new funds for station improvements. These could include upgraded facilities for disabled access to platforms, signalling updates and potentially creating a new entrance for the Brunel designed station. The freshly acquired funds are a part of a larger 4.7 billion pot previously allocated for the HS2 past Birmingham, which were reassigned to transport improvements. As a result, Worcester County Council has more power and responsibility to identify and implement improvements to bus services, roads and pavements. Mr Bayliss, currently a Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure on the Council, will be playing a key role in overseeing the the plans for spending the newly acquired funds. Mr Maynard said... This new money for Worcestershire provides a great opportunity to make a significant improvement to transport options across the county. I am delighted to be able to visit Worcester and see for myself the difference to people's lives it will make. Mr Bayliss added, I want to thank Paul and the government for this announcement. Improving transport and cutting congestion is one of the key themes of my plan for Worcester and this new money will enable us to take a big
2: step forward. The next article is Research Gave Us the Greatest Gift A mother from Evesham who was diagnosed with cancer just months after her son has launched a national campaign with her husband in an effort to save lives. Sue Howard Carter, along with her husband Jason, are supporting Cancer Research UK's More Research, Less Cancer campaign. Four-year-old Drew was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia days before his birthday in May 2022, five months before his mum was found to have stage 3 breast cancer. Mrs Carter's treatment, which included drugs developed by the Cancer Charity, came to an end last month. The Evesham family are now looking ahead towards their son reaching the end of his treatment later this summer. Their support follows the charity's recent analysis, which estimates additional funds could help prevent an estimated 9,500 deaths from cancer in the West Midlands and Worcestershire within the next 20 years. In the wider UK, up to 110,000 lives could be saved if mortality rates reduced by 15% by 2040. The campaign, backed by BBC journalists and fellow breast cancer survivor Victoria Derbyshire, endeavours to raise £400 million to advance the battle against cancer. Mrs Howard Carter said... Research into better treatments has given our family the greatest gift, more time with each other. We want to do everything we can to turn the tide on the disease by helping to raise vital awareness and funds. The funds will help to cover the cost of revolutionary treatments and tests, support the Francis Crick Institute and help us to bring together worldwide researchers to answer the most complex cancer questions through the Cancer Grand Challenges initiative. Scientific research experts have signed an open letter warning of a tipping point in our understanding and treatment of cancer. However, they emphasise an urgent requirement for additional support for life-saving research to defeat the disease. Paulie Young, spokesperson for Cancer Research UK in Worcestershire, said, We're standing on the brink of discoveries like new blood tests that could detect cancer at an earlier stage and algorithms that could predict someone's cancer risk and stop it from developing in the first place.
0: Thank you, Penny. And that's the last article for this evening because we've come to the end of our recording. I do hope you've enjoyed hearing all the articles of useful information. Many thanks to the team, to Penny, Moira, Richard and Alex, and also Carol and the admin team who work so hard in the background. We hope you'll tune in for next week's offering. So for now, from us all, good night and goodbye. Goodbye. Well, now for those useful telephone numbers. The number for Colin Chance House is Worcester 01905 767766. You should be aware that this is not manned daily and please be patient if a reply is required. Police Non-Emergency 101, NHS Direct 111, out of hours, Medical Assistance, 111 also. Crime Stoppers, 0800 triple Worcester Hub, Worcester 765 765. Worcestershire County Council, Here to Help, Worcester 768053 and Use Option 3. Community Risk Team, that's Fire Safety, 0800, 032, Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800, 980, 3331. Sense Adventures, Walking for Visually Impaired, a lady called D Jones. 01684 891 or 07920 Samaritans 116123 and that's a free phone number. Worcester Live Worcester six double one four two seven. 427. Malvern Theatres 1684 And for scams and nuisance phone calls dial 1572 listen to the instruction press 1 and listen again press 1 again to delete that number so that they won't trouble you again Right, now for the obituaries during this week.
2: Penny, would you start us off, please? Thelma Mary Chambers, née Gregory, of St John's Worcester, passed away peacefully at home on Sunday, February 11th, aged 95 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, March 5th at 12.15pm. No flowers, please. But donations, if desired, to Dementia UK. Linda Gillian Collins Lynn passed away at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital on Friday the twenty sixth of January, aged seventy-five years. The funeral service has taken place. Donations, if desired, can be sent to Guide Dogs for the Blind Association. Brian John Corey passed away peacefully at home on 2nd of February, aged 78 years. A funeral service has taken place. Donations if desired in memory of Brian for the RSPB. Patricia May Cooper of Worcester passed away peacefully in hospital on the 5th of February, aged 86 years. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 4th of March at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for leukaemia care may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery & Son, 68-70 to Ombersley Road, Worcester. Virginia Harrison,
3: or Ginny of Worcester, Passed away peacefully on the 8th of February, aged 77 years. The funeral service is at St David's Church, Comer Gardens on Wednesday the 6th of March at 2pm, followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only please, and donations are warmly invited for St David's Church or for St Richard's Hospice. Kevin John West from Worcester. Passed away suddenly on the 5th of February at Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 65 years. Funeral to take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 11th of March at 10am. Family flowers only, please, and donations, if so desired, will be gratefully received for the British Heart Foundation. Leslie John Brooks, or John, passed away the 14th of February, aged 98 years. The funeral will be held at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Thursday the 7th of March at 3pm. Family flowers only. Donations to Barnardo's. Dawn Leslie Enon sadly passed away on the 21st of February, aged 62 years. The funeral service will take place at Hereford Crematorium on Wednesday the 13th of March at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St Michael's Hospice Hereford.
1: Michael Orton of Worcester, passed away peacefully on the 5th of February, 2024, aged 75 years. The funeral service has taken place. But donations, if desired, can be made to Mencap or Dashund Rescue, UK. Raymond Turner, known as Ray, from Lower Wick, Worcester, passed away on the 6th of February 2024 at Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 91 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 5th of March at 3:15. Family flowers only please. Donations if so desired will be gratefully received for Air Ambulance and the British Heart Foundation. And David James Ward of Worcester, known as Holly, passed away on the 7th of February 2024 in hospital. The funeral is on the 7th of March 2024 at 10 a.m. at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, but donations in David's name to be sent to for the guide dogs for the blind.
0: Margaret Mary Leah Evans Passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on the 9th of February 2024 aged 82 years Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 7th of March at 1pm Family flowers only please but donations, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice. Ivan Hurdis passed away on the seventh of february twenty twenty-four, aged eighty-four years. A funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the seventh of march at eleven thirty AM. Family flowers only, please, but if desired, donations to Site Concern Worcestershire. Irene Morgan passed away peacefully on the 14th of February, 2024, aged 77 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 6th of March at 10am. Family flowers only, please. But donations if desired for Diabetes UK. And Pat O'Keefe, formerly of Southdown Road. Funeral service has already taken place. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Alzheimer's Society, Worcester Branch.